Chapter 22 I want them found, do you hear me? Geddon said. It had been over a month since Erica had been taken. A few of his patrols had some luck following them east out of Hallen's Hold, but the trail had gone cold in the mountains. The trackers surmised that they had either continued to flee east into Arcturus, or went somewhere south. An obese Lenise man and a child with hair down to her ankles should not be so hard to find. Why is this taking so long? Sir, may I? I did not ask for an answer, Geddon said, knocking his chalice off the arm of his throne, and then hurling it at the guard. The guard stood his ground, letting the gold cup hit him in the chest and fall to the floor. He dared not pick it up. Get out of my sight, you useless wretches. I don't want to see you again unless it's to parade the two of them in front of me. Is that understood? The guard nodded, then turned, walking from the room. Perhaps I shall send... No, Gaddon, you should not, the voice purred. We need Colette here. She is too useful to our cause. But she could find them. She found them before, Gaddon said. You don't even need them. It's your own fault for not killing them, the voice responded. I'll decide how I treat those in my company. Thank you. Geddon chuckled. If you don't plan on selling her to the Orite, then be done with her, the voice suggested. But she made Arleska so happy, Geddon moaned, getting up from his throne and walking through the back exit, creeping down the hallway behind the curtain. No one can make that thing happy anymore, the voice said. She was a toy, a toy you broke long ago, whose only redeeming value is that you haven't yet thrown her away for a new one. She is my wife. One does not throw his wife away. The voice sighed, wondering if it was not beginning to have an ill effect on its host. It had controlled men years past, but Geddon was different. His mind had seemed strong, but its strength turned out to be now twisted. What of the other child, Annika? Perhaps you could sell her to the man, yes? The voice inquired. He has no interest, I asked. Only Erica, only the eldest daughter, Geddon said, looking around. His money would be of great aid to us. Arcturus is a large country to invade, the voice pointed out. Can't this wait till later, Geddon said, annoyed. Christian had been in better spirits since their talk. His body was still weak from the beating he had received at the hands of Geddon's men, but the wounds had healed and he was on the mend. Which was good, because Jenner was having a hard time keeping the same faith he had wished to instill in Christian. The carriage had been traveling for weeks now. They could be anywhere, for all he knew. 
They never heard voices outside of the men driving the carriage, and there was no real shift in temperature, so the only place he was sure they were not was Milan. You don't suppose they are just driving us around in circles at the same location, making us think we have gone a long way, do you? Christian asked. Uh, the thought had occurred to me, but at this point it seems like an awful lot of trouble. Then again, it is Gaddon, and I couldn't hazard a guess as to what he considers a lot of trouble, Jenna replied. A few days later, they got their answer, as the carriage came to a stop for a few hours. The only times they had stopped during the trip was when, as far as Jenner could figure, from the sounds, they had to change out horses. Food and water was slid in through a compartment at the foot of the carriage, and one of the benches where they were situated had been made into a makeshift water closet. It was a modest, and the smell never quite went away, but it was serviceable. But they had just changed horses the day before last, and they were now stocked for quite a while. Here, put these on, said a voice from outside the carriage. It sounded like one of the drivers. A small slit in the carriage opened to their left, and two small green sacks were tossed in. Put them on, Christian said. I believe he's meaning our heads, Jenner said. Christian looked at the little bag and then pulled it on over his head. This would all seem so silly if, you know, our lives were not at stake, Christian said. That's the spirit, Jenner said, donning his own bag. All right, they're on. The door swung open, and they felt the hands of the guards grab them, pulling them from the carriage. Christian noticed there was a bit of noise about them, people talking, whispers, a hum of excitement he associated with the marketplace of Culment. They were led along a specific path, walking up a wooden ramp, where they stood for several minutes. Christian began to ask Jenner a question, but a guard elbowed him, leaving no room for comment. A few minutes passed, and they were prodded again by the guard, this time back down the ramp. Christian wondered how Mao did it. She had shown him how to work with his hands and not his eyes, but being forced to walk in unfamiliar areas with a bag over his head, he had to fight hard not to panic. They walked off in another direction that Jenner was confident they did not start from. Then they were asked to step up a series of wooden steps, where their hands were bound to wooden pylons. Other people were bound to the pylons as well, making standing uncomfortable. It also made reaching for the bags difficult. After standing around for several minutes, Jenner hazarded a word. Well, all things considered so far, I think I preferred the carriage, Jenner said, tensing, expecting a smack, but none was forthcoming. At least I could lay down in the carriage, Christian said, wedged in between two people. Christian coughed, trying not to retch as the pungent body odors of those around him permeated his senses. A gag was placed over his mouth, though he wished it covered his nose instead. They heard the crack of whips, and the platform they were on lurched forward, lumbering down an unseen path before them. The people on the platform with them seemed to speak a variety of languages, 
none of which either of them could speak with any assuredness. The best of which was Jenner's ability to recite memorized verse from plays he had performed, but he could not make out any responses. With some effort, Christian had been able to work the gag out of his mouth, moving his hands up the pole he was tied to and wringing it free. I spent so much time practicing the common tongue, I never bothered to learn another, Christian said. Maybe one of them speaks common. I don't think so, was Jenner's reply. Why not? Christian asked. Jenner cleared his voice, then shouted, We're on fire! We're going to die! Help! To which the only noticeable reply was from in front of him, a man's voice yelling for him to shut up and settle down. Our honored transporter, no doubt, Jenner said. But everyone else, not so much as an alarmed tone or even a sense of struggle. Christian sighed, then decided he had enough of traveling blind, and tugged off his bag. He was surprised it came loose. It was dark all around them. He could see pinpricks of light through the canopy overhead, but the forest they were in was thick with flora. He looked around. He and Jenner were on a small, wheeled platform, being pulled in a procession of what looked to be four or five platforms. There appeared to be three upright poles on each platform, with two or three people tied to each pole. As far as he could tell, he was the youngest passenger. The men were in various states of dress, some looking like they might have been stolen out of a fancy home, while others might have well been snatched out of the gutters. The women were naked except for what looked to be corsets that covered their busts, but ending at their belly button. They were not the fancy corsets he had seen at the Rat, or in the shop windows of certain clothier vendors his mother had warned him about. They seemed to be made of some sort of starch-colored white leather. The women and men were tied together in groups, by platform. Jenner, take your bag off, Christian said in a low voice. I don't know if that would be wise, Jenner replied. Well, I took mine off, and I'm not dead yet, Christian said. Jenner slouched down best he could and reached up, removing the bag. Where do you think we are? Christian asked. Not sure. Geography was never my forte. There is some thick forests to the south near Milan, and some that run along the Arcturus border and well into the nation. Jenner strained his eyes, waiting for them to adjust a little better to the shadows. The intermittent light breaking through the canopy made it hard to see. Looking to his bindings, Jenner felt somewhat alleviated. His hands were bound highest on this particular pole. He could shimmy up to the top and free himself. Christian had fared worse, having two people bound over top of him. The knots that bound their hands were of a level exceeding anything he had seen in the theater, or that Christian had seen in the watch. They resigned themselves to the fact that they were going to see whatever destination they were headed to. The trees made it impossible to see any other surroundings. No mountains or seas, only forest and sky. After two days, they were starting to get hungry. The smell on the platforms grew worse, 
as this time there was no bucket or closet to dispose of the waste. They did their best to stand aside whenever someone relieved themselves. Christian tried to get his bearings on their heading, but he had a little to work from. Even the stars were too obscured to get a firm idea. And whatever path they were taking, it was heavily overgrown. Christian tried to see if there were marks from prior passages. By the fourth day, most of the passengers had relinquished their dignity to exhaustion, sitting down on the refuse-strewn platforms, leaning against the poles as much as their bonds would allow. So, did you ever want to go out and see the world? Jenner asked, smiling despite their predicament. No, not really. Not in the slightest, Christian replied. Although, I do slightly regret not paying more attention to my father when he used to take me camping in the summer months outside of Calment. Christian grew sad, remembering he would never see his father again. Thoughts turned to his mother. Was she any better? Was she all right? Was she still alive? He had not seen her in so long. She must be lonely. Christian, Jenner said, seeing the glass-eyed look and somber expression Christian had let overrun his face. We need to get out of here, Christian replied. I couldn't agree more, Jenner said. Their exchange was broken by the baying of animals. Christian focused his ears to the sound. I think that sounds like wolves, he said to Jenner, who nodded. His guess was confirmed as a pack broke into view alongside their left, barking and running past. Christian counted five or six, though it was hard to tell. He followed their movement to see the forest break ahead of them, into what looked like a large clearing. As they got closer, the light grew brighter. The canopy gave way to an amber-hued evening sky. They saw huts dotting the landscape. A track of land that Jenner guessed was about a half mile across from where he was looking. Men and women in various animal skins turned to regard the procession of platforms. Their hair was long and wild and the people all looked very muscular and strong, even the women, not like the prisoners on the cart. Wolves ran through the village, some seeming to go to certain huts, others just wandering. Jenner could make out children playing with wolf cubs, while older women looked on. Jenner also noticed skulls of various animals adorning tents, poles, and hut walls. Some were human in appearance. There were much larger skulls, too. As they entered the village proper, other prisoners began to pull their hoods from their heads, the hum of noise making them curious. Although they did not understand the dialects, the gasps and cries and moans were telling. Christian was curious as to what they were thinking, while Jenner worried if some of them knew more about the village than they did. The platforms were led to what seemed to be the center of the village, at which point several of the tribesmen, carrying staves of wood with nooses on the end, gathered round. Other men moved in and about the platforms. 
They went to the ones holding women first. There were screams and cries as the men with the poles placed the nooses around the women's necks and used them to guide them off to one of the larger huts. They were pushed and prodded. Then the rest of them were herded together and led to a stretch of dirt where they were told to wait. The tribesmen spoke an accented common tongue, and between that and the wolves, he was guessing they were in Arcturus. Moving against them, they were even more intimidating in size. They all towered over the prisoners, the shortest tribesmen easily six feet tall, as best Jenner could guess. They were built like gladiators and street thugs, bulging with muscles. They had sharp, protruding foreheads, which reminded Jenner of some of the nomads that lived in the mountains near Calment. A giant among them strode out of the growing crowd, stepping toward the prisoners huddled together on the ground. He wore his hair short, a thick black matted mess that hung with small bones and twigs. A grizzled bear head hung from the skin he wore on his chest. He had a rugged loincloth that seemed to be made of the same skin of the bear. He strode in, barefoot, two primitive stone axes hanging from his hips. His lips were split in three places, and his face was a mismatch of claw marks that went all over his face, his neck, and part of his shoulder. I am Krugrith, and you are my slaves. This is your new home. You will work hard, or you will die. You will listen, or you will die. As the man spoke, a few other tribesmen began speaking. Jenner realized they were talking in other languages, saying what Krugrith must be saying. Jenner was not happy that his bestial captors were also seemingly well-educated. You will work the fields and do chores as told. If you flee, you will die. The forest stretches far in every direction, and my soldiers populate every foot of it. Men came around and undid their bonds, cutting the ropes with flint-bladed knives. You're a mot. The hulking beast of a man came up to Kruger. He wore a draping loincloth, his scarred upper torso on display. Ugly wounds that had not been treated scattered all over his skin. Show these prisoners to their new home. Yermont barked a reply. He pulled a short club from his back and began growling at the men, prodding ones too slow with a crack from his club. Jenner and Christian scrambled to their feet with the rest of the men, scurrying in the direction the beast man drove them. They were led past huts of children staring at them. Tribesmen laughed, and some of the females taunted them in some half-decipherable tongue. They were led down a small ramp that descended into the ground, where they walked into a sort of half-buried makeshift barracks. Hammocks and ramshackle beds and bunks littered the room. There seemed to be a half-dozen occupants, but it was hard to tell in the poor lighting. The room seemed capable of holding ten times their number. Jenner's only relief was that it did not reek of body odor and feces. It had the smell of wet, damp earth. 
Yormont continued pushing men forward until he stood in the doorway, then barked something, throwing the door shut and barring it from his side, making snarling noises again, and then lumbering away. It seems like they don't completely trust us, Jenner said. He looked around, then made his way toward a corner of the room near the back. What is it? What do you see? Christian asked, sounding hopeful. Jenner chuckled, picking up his pace, before tossing his feet up as he jumped and slid into a cozy-looking hammock. If we're going to be here a while, I might as well pick the best bed, right? He said to Christian, looking back at the boy from his reclining position. Christian managed to laugh, a real one, before grabbing a bed and dragging it nearer to Jenner's hammock. Most of the other prisoners seemed to be doing the same, though some just stared into space, unaware, or perhaps all too aware, of what was happening. Christian sat on his battered bed, noting the bugs and mice that crawled out from under the threadbare sheet as he tugged on it. He tried not to worry too much. He looked to Jenner, who already seemed to be asleep, snoozing in the hammock. We are still alive, Christian said. That we are, Jenner said. That we are. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast, or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 apiece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.